The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which you heard a little bit ago. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we continue a series that we ended all the way back in October, or I should say we took a pause on, and that is the series of the Tree of Life. Anybody remember that? Back in mid-October we ended it? So when we ended with that part five, we we're focusing on the Old Testament. Today we begin the focus on the New Testament. And I kind of like that gap because the Old Testament was finalized, being written in, with the book of Malachi. So that was the last prophet to speak. Because you see, all the Old Testament is all about preparing the way for Jesus, pointing that he is to come, well, specific, or the Christ is to come. The first prophecy is found in Genesis, when it's promised that after the man and woman had fallen into sin, that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so from that day on, they had been waiting. And there have been prophecies scattered throughout the ages. And then when Malachi was written, the prophecies ended. They went silent. We know what it's like to be anticipating something. Think back, for those of you who are older, anybody remember waiting to find out who shot J.R.? Or if you're my age, who shot Mr. Burns? That was the Simpsons one, which is very much a parody. Or maybe you, you felt anticipation that one month trying to figure out what happened in Stranger Things when they had that gap in the last season. I'm covering the generations there. We know what anticipation is, but for them, this anticipation was long. And I kind of calculated it out. If every single day, if one day equaled five years, so that means yesterday, if one day is five years, yesterday would be 2018. And that would mean last Sunday, New Year's Day, would be 1988, the year that the Soviet Union collapsed. Anybody remember when that happened? I was six years old, so I don't remember a lot. Or if you go back to Christmas Day, that's 70 years ago, that would be the, day, the year that Dwight D. Eisenhower took over as president. So if you liked Ike, that was your year. You go back another 35 years to the fourth Sunday in Advent. That would be the same year, that would be 1918, the same year that we had the flu pandemic, sometimes called the Spanish flu, although it started in Kansas, a little bit of Cape. It was not actually the Spanish flu. People just called it that. But if you were to go with that line, when we concluded our series, that when we finished with week five of the Tree of Life series, that would be 460 years ago, 1568. That is how long the people of Israel went without a single from any of the prophets. Waiting for Christ to come, they didn't hear a word. 
460 years. That'd be like 1568 to us. That's a long time to wait. And so when John shows up on the Jordan River, and he start, he's preaching, he's <coughs> baptizing people, preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near, people come and say, are you the Christ? And he says, nobody nope. He didn't say it that way, but nobody nope. Okay, are you, are you the, are you Elijah? Nada. Are you the prophet? Which, by the way, the prophet and the Christ are the same person. But nevertheless, they asked him, are you the prophet? No. Ah, so it's not him. You understand that they've been, at this point, they have been spending about 90 years under the reign of the Roman Empire. So this would be like, again, in our context, if, the, if China ruled over the United States since the Great Depression, or even better analogy, if the Nazis won World War II and we were still under their, their reign. That's a long time. And so they believed that the Christ was coming to bring an end to the Roman government. Of course, that's not why the Christ was to come, but that's what they thought. And so when John shows up and they find out it's not him, bummer. But John tells them, the one who comes after him, whose sandals he is not worthy to stoop down and untie. For the day came when that person came, Jesus. Now, he didn't actually know what Jesus looked like. Yes, they're cousins. But you understand that even though they lived only like they lived like 90 miles away, 90 miles away by donkey is a lot different than 90 miles away by your car. So it is it'd be kind of more like going to your cousin's meant going to like Alaska or something. It takes a lot longer to do it. And so not they didn't not very likely John ever saw his brother G his cousin Jesus. But by the Holy Spirit, he recognized that Jesus is the Christ, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes the sin of the world away. And in the text here it says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Because John baptizes a baptism of repentance. Jesus is without sin. What does he have to repent of? He has nothing to repent of. So why receive this baptism? Jesus answers him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. That, that God made him who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He never sinned by the things he thought, never, never sinned by the things he left undone. He never failed to love his neighbor. And yet, he who had knew no sin became sin for, for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, when Jesus was in that baptismal waters, he was clothed with the sin of the world. 
Every sin that you've ever had or anybody's ever had, from the littlest white lie to the most vile of murders, was placed upon him. And he was made the guilty one. He took the guilt of every sin, every word that you've ever had that was harsh, the vul whatever vulgarity that may have poured through your mouth, whenever time you gossiped about someone else, whenever you had a snickering face or thought against another human being, every single sin you have ever committed was laid upon him. As he was anointed for one purpose, to die on a cross. To, to be nailed to that cross along with your sin. To be buried into the ground along with your sin. To never rise again. You, when you were baptized this day, the six of you, you received a diff you were clothed with something else. You weren't clothed with sin. You were clothed with Jesus. In the epistle lesson last Sunday, we heard the words that, do, that all who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. More literally, have been clothed in Christ. So that when you stand before the Heavenly Father, He looks at you. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your brokenness. He sees his son, holy, sinless, without spot or wrinkle, without any blemish, he sees you as his beloved child. And as you are his child, you are an heir. That reading from Romans 6, you heard a little bit ago. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If any of you have ever been to a funeral, you've heard those words. They're usually said at the back of the saint, the church, while the family and the casket is coming in. You hear those words, and some churches have the tradition, and we can't do it because our aisles are not wide enough, and we don't want people running into the pews. But the way they would do it is they'd actually lead the, bat, the, the, the casket forward, and the funeral pall would be over it. This is why we call them pallbearers, because they're bearing the pall, carrying it. And when they'd receive, they'd get to the front of the church, the pastor would say these words, and the cloth would be placed on the casket. Symbolic of the reminder that when you are baptized, you began eternal life. Symbolic of the reality that the person who is in the casket is destined to rise from the dead. As it says again, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It doesn't say some of us were baptized, all of us. So in baptism, you are crucified with Jesus. But it says if we have been united with him in a death like his, his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in other words, though you die, though the person in the casket will be buried into the ground, they will rise to a new life. That's when you were baptized this morning. Do any of you, does anyone else know when their baptism is? Some of you might have received baptism birthday cards really recently. But if you know your baptism birthday, that's the date when eternal life began with you. That's when you receive that token as a reminder that you, that, that token that declares that you are a child of God, declares to you that eternal life is yours, declares to you that death is not the end, but your body will rise on the last day. There's a reason why I wanted to make sure that we had the, all of you baptized on the same day. There's a couple reasons. One, I think it would be nerve-wracking if any of you had to do it all by yourself. Did it help a little bit not being the only one up there? With babies, they don't care. But when you're older, you kind of get mindful of that. Just kind of give you kind of relax you. But the other thing is, is, and this is why I am, I'm not a big fan of private baptisms. Now, there are circumstances where they might be necessary. But ideally, a baptism is public. Because when you're baptized, you are brought into the family of God. It is very appropriate in your baptism that as you become brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because look at the person, everyone that was baptized today. Look at everyone in this sanctuary. You are brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus. In baptism, you are made a family. That's why there's one little bit in the baptism where you hear that the, you as a congregation, you say, we welcome you. That's why, it needs, why it's so wonderful to hear those words. This is your family. And there are people that understand how important that is. People who have been widowed, they know how precious that family is. Somebody they could, people they can rely on, find strength in. This is a joyous day that all of you are brought into the faith, brought into Christ. In case you do not know, it is not normal to have six teenagers baptized at the same time. It's not even normal for six infants, unless you have sex couplets, which I haven't had that yet. It's not a normal occurrence. Only really in mission congregations do you see that happen. A day to rejoice and be glad that by baptism, by the water and the word, by God's promise, you, we, are God's children. In this, rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.